Um, today, uh, we're starting this brand new series, and it's all about time, obviously. So um, we ask a lot of questions about time, and we're kind of obsessed with it. What time do we have to be here? What time does it start? How long does it last? And one of the reasons we're obsessed with time is because we never feel like I think we have enough of it. But really, there's a better question. Rather than being so consumed with, you know, what time is it or how much time, you know, do we have left or what time do we have to be here? The really better question, the question that we want to start dealing with is the question of what am I doing with my time? Like we're obsessed with what time is it and how long does it last? But in the rat race of day to day, month to month, week to week, Monday through Friday, we don't spend a lot of time answering the question, what are we doing with our time? It's just juggling one more thing, sending one more email. There's another practice. There's another event for my kid. There's another you know, deal that I want to try to fit in there somewhere. And we just kind of keep moving on the treadmill and never stop and never pause to ask, what am I doing with my time? That is a powerful question. And it's a powerful question because we are bombarded with so many different things. Like as you start the new year, this is probably pretty relevant for you because there's a lot of things you want to get done, but your schedule is so overwhelmed and there's not a lot of margin and you're trying to figure out where to cut and how to juggle. And it's so interesting because you look at articles from several decades ago, there was all of these promises that as technology advanced that our schedules would get leaner. And if that's you, you can raise your hand, but I, I think it's pretty safe to say that technology has only made our lives busier. We are busier than we have ever been before in any generation. And, and the other thing is, isn't this true? By about the time you graduate from high school or maybe it's college, it seems like immediately time begins to accelerate, doesn't it? Like there's actually scientific studies done around this and how the brain works, but it seems like it is flying by. Like we just got done with Christmas and we're going to blink, especially if you have kids and Christmas is going to be here again. Like it is flying by. And so for the next couple of weeks, we would just want to talk about this whole issue of time and the starting place. And this is not going to seem real happy, but it'll get happier is that your time is limited and recognizing that your time is limited is really a catalyst to begin to answer the question of what am I doing with my time seriously in such a way that, that it has the power to change your life. Here's um, what Job, Job's a guy in the Old Testament, here's his chipper thoughts on time and kind of the brevity of life. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to an end without hope. You just feel like you need to give him a hug or something like, Job, it's going to... It's going to be okay. Here's something else Job said. My days are swifter than a run. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Aren't you glad he came to church today? <laughs> Job's whole point is just like it's, it's short. And every once in a while, this isn't morbid. You just need to stop and recognize that because it can be the catalyst for something really, really good. I mean, somewhere I think around 30, you start to look at not the past so much, you start to look at the future, or maybe it's 40, and you don't really look so much at what's already happened. You look at the fact of, man, I, I don't have as much time as I thought I had when I was like 21. And at about 30 or 40, you're like, if I'm going to do anything, I better get on it. And then you look around and go, but I'm in a freaking cubicle every day of my life. Or if you've got little kids, I have little biting, remote-stealing, angry little kids. So, like, what, what does I need to do something? What does that look like? What do I need to prioritize? But me starting with just recognizing, man, it, it goes quick. It moves by really fast. Job's like, okay, in case you haven't considered this yet, at some point you probably will. It, it's not going to last forever. You don't have an endless supply. 
just one more thing, just happy thought. Um, if you want to um, calculate the approximate date of your death, you can go to a website called deathclock.com and put in some information, some health information, some background information, and then it will spit out the approximate year that you're going to die. So, all right. So here really is my point. Um, as morbid as it all sounds, to, and I'm not suggesting you do that, but it is kind of fun. Um, as morbid as all of that sounds, living with the end in mind, like, like being aware of the brevity of life or the shortness of life or the fact that it moves really quickly is a really helpful thing, and it's a really biblical thing. You actually find it all throughout the scriptures. And so what we're going to talk about today, just this one thing, and I'm not overstating this, it has the power to change your life. And I'm not going to talk about some plan to reorganize your life or some self-help on, you know, how to manage your time. Most of those, just by the way, don't work because somebody's trying to sell you something, which isn't bad. You can buy that. But if your personality isn't oriented around what they're selling, it's never going to work for you. So I want to get to some really practical stuff in this series. But what we're going to talk about today is the 3,000-foot level. And this truth, if you ever embrace it, it has the power to change your life. Because here's what's true about all of us. Your time and how you manage your time and what you do with your time, it is your life. And what you spend your time doing is ultimately what you are going to spend your life doing. And so of all people in the Old Testament, not Job, we're done with Job, um, a guy by the name of Moses comes along and gives brilliant insight around this whole idea of our time and what we're doing with our time. Now, before you think Moses, if you know any of the scriptures, um, even if you don't, you've heard of Moses probably, um, and, and it's easy to dismiss. Okay, he's thousands of years ago. What does Moses know about time? So here's kind of the weight behind Moses' words. Moses lived to be 120 years old. 120. And then there's this weird fact in the scripture that just I find amusing that out of nowhere it says Moses lived to be 120 years old and he could still see, which is just interesting to me. So he's 120. I mean, a lot of you around 40, you're like, you can't see anything anymore. He's 120. Dude still has good eyesight. So Moses lives to be 120. And maybe you know the backstory of his life. I'll just tell you real quick. Moses was actually a Hebrew. He ends up as an infant being adopted um, by an Egyptian and was actually Pharaoh's daughter. So he becomes the adopted daughter of, um, or adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so he lives his early years in Egypt. But then he finds out somewhere along the way that he's actually Hebrew. And he begins to kind of empathize with the plight of other Hebrew people because the Hebrews were actually slaves to the Egyptians during this part in history. One day Moses sees one of his people, these Hebrew people, um, being basically mistreated. And Moses goes off the rails and ends up killing one of these um, Egyptians that was hurting the Hebrew. And at that point, Moses knows he's got to go. He cannot stay in the kingdom any longer, even as great as it had been. I mean, Moses was living large. He had all of the byproduct of being a part of Pharaoh's entourage, Pharaoh's family as an adopted son. But he knows he's got to go. So Pharaoh go, or Moses goes on the run. After growing up in this Egyptian empire, he goes on the run and becomes a nomad shepherd. And for the next 40 years, get this, 40 years of Moses' life, he's nothing more than a shepherd. He gets up every day and is like, what am I going to do today? I'm going to take care of sheep. And then I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to sleep, and then I'm going to get up, and I'm going to take care of sheep again. And for 40 years, that's all Moses did. And Moses does not know the end of his story. 
Moses doesn't know how things are going to go. Moses doesn't know the next chapter. He thinks, my life has been relegated to this. And then somewhere along the way, God comes to Moses and says, I've actually been preparing you for these 40 years of your, you know, figurative cubicle, you know, life of just this groundhog day. You're doing the same thing over and over again to do something extraordinary. And he leads Moses back to Egypt. And there's that whole event where he goes before Pharaoh and ultimately through God moving, Pharaoh releases all of the Hebrew people to go out, to go to a place where God only knows, like literally God only knew, to the promised land. Moses didn't know where he was going, but he leads these people out, the Hebrew people, out of Egyptian captivity. And then, I don't know if you know this about the story, he spends 40 more years wandering around in the desert because they're a bunch of whining, complaining people. And so God says, all of you guys are going to die before I take you to the land that I've promised you because I'm just fed up. And so Moses wanders for another 40 years in the desert. And then the kicker is he gets on top of a mountain. They're about to go into the promised land. This is the culmination of his whole life, and God's like, you're not going in. And at 120 years old, Moses still has good eyesight, so he could see the promised land. He just couldn't go in. Moses dies on top of a mountain. It all ends for him. But before that, he writes what is the oldest psalm and gives us brilliant insight about time. And come on, at 120 years old, with all that he had experienced, he knows something about time. And here's what he says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, which is where I want to start. And if you've got your app or you download the Centerpoint app, you can just go to media and resources and uh, check out these verses. Here's what he says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation or throughout all of the generations. Because what, what Moses is about to set up is this. This is Moses' big idea, that the whole key to managing your time well and squeezing all that God has intended out of your life is to recognize that there is a context for your life that is not you. You have been invited into a bigger story that goes from generation to generation and from everlasting to everlasting, and you're a small little part. You are a tiny little blip on the radar that God is writing a story and a drama, and you have been invited into that, but you are not the point of that drama. You are not the point of that story. See, the scripture, you should just know this. It is for you. It's not about you. There is one central character and hero, and it is God who has come to redeem his people and give us a purpose. And so Moses says, listen, you just need to know this is the context for your life. Now, somewhere around like 18, 20, 21, all of us naturally think we are the point. Why? Because we don't have any context. And Moses is like, context is the key to everything. Because for most of us, hopefully, one day you're going to get up and go, man, it all just seems to look the same for everybody. Like, what's the point? You go to middle school, then you go to high school, and then you get a job. And for some of us, maybe we went to college, and then you graduate from college and get a job and catch up with everybody else. And then maybe you get married, and then you have a few kids. And for some of you, you get divorced, and then you get remarried, and you have a few more kids. And eventually, you're going to retire, and somebody's going to give you a gift card, and you'll play a little golf, and then you die. Like, how many people do you know that that's their story? At some point, you're going to look around and go, it just seems to be the same. Like, what's the point? And Moses is like, ooh, I know, I know. You have been invited into a bigger story in a bigger context that is everlasting to everlasting from generation to generation. In verse 2, before the mountains, I love this, were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God, you are the context for life. It is about you. It is about your story. It is about the fact that I've been invited in. And then he says this, verse 3. This is kind of the ultimate kind of Gandalf-esque. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, sons of men. And here's basically what he's saying. You don't control anything. And you, and you know this, but you don't control anything. You're not going to control when you were born, and most of you are not going to control when you die. You have no control whatsoever. Like doing what I do, you are confronted with that reality probably more often than most people that there is just a shortness to life and none of us have any control over. When I sit down with my brother-in-law, who's a radiologist, he deals with this on a weekly basis, and we have these conversations of you're just confronted almost every week with the fact that we are not in control. And here's the crazy thing about this. Even if you don't believe, even if you're struggling with faith, there is probably something in you that connects your mortality to God. And here's why I know that. Because for most of you, if you were to be diagnosed with a terminal disease tomorrow, the first thing you would do is pray. If somebody close to you is, or maybe is diagnosed with a terminal disease, one of the first things that you do, even if you're struggling with, is there a God? You, you pray anyway, because somehow intuitively we know we're not in control and that our mortality and our life is connected with something or someone that's beyond us. And so Moses says, verse four, for a thousand years, in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night, basically like three hours. Like a thousand years to God, the God of the universe, like a day. A thousand years, like three hours, one, one watch during the night. I mean, imagine us as we're sitting around going, man, time flies. I can't believe my little girl's already five. I can't believe like it's 2018. Before I know it, I'm going to go, I can't believe it's Christmas and we're about to head into 2019 and all of these things that just continue to go at this warp speed. And here's God going, man, where have the last 3,000 years gone? It was just 950 BC. It was just 1,000 years ago, the Crusades. And here we are because it's like three hours. It's like a day. So basically what Moses is saying is imagine the God of the universe as he looks at your life and looks at my life. You're cute. Your day, your life is like three hours. To, to, I mean, a thousand years is like three hours. Your life is like a couple minutes to me. All the things that you're consumed with, all the things that overwhelm you, all of the things that are such a big deal, and they are to you, you just need to know. In the grand scheme of everlasting to everlasting, from generation to generation, it's a small part of a much bigger story. And then he says this, verse five, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass, like a new baby. It's born in the morning. Everybody goes crazy. Verse 6, though in the morning it springs up new by evening, it is dry and withered. And again, Moses is like, it's short. It's quick. It's going to go by fast. And no matter how many Pilates you do, no matter how ripped and chiseled you are, no matter how many times you Botox it, it is coming for you, Right? I mean, one out of one, everybody's going to experience the same fate. And he's like, it's just quick. It's like it's here in the morning and it springs up. And by evening, it's dry and it's withered and it's gone. 
And again, his point is, is not your life doesn't matter. If you are breathing breath, if you're breathing air, if you have breath, then you have been created in the image of God. You have been created with extraordinary worth. You have been created with a purpose. But the key to fulfilling that purpose is to realize you don't have a lot of time and you are not the point of the story. Your life is too short to live for you. And as you look at history, every individual who has lived like they were the point of the story, like they were the main thing, always ends badly for them. Usually two things happen, whether it's a national leader, whether it's a global leader, whether it's a president, whether it's some emperor in the past. Generally, those who live for them, like they're the point of the story, two things happen. Number one, time always inevitably runs out on them. And number two, history never views them favorably. I mean, think about the first century where Nero is the guy. Everybody's bowing down to Nero. Nero has all of the power in the world. Peter and the other disciples, are they're nothing. I mean, they're marginalized in society. 2,000 years later, nobody names their kid Nero. They name their dogs Nero. They name their little boys Peter, right? Nobody's naming their dog Adolf or their kid Adolf or Judas any longer. Like, history is not looking favorably on them because your life, our life, is too small to live for us. And Moses is going, you are a part of something so much bigger. You have been created for a bigger purpose. And one of the keys to discovering that is to begin to just understand this fact and this reality that maybe seem morbid on the front end, but it's gonna be extraordinarily helpful. Your life is short, your life is small. And what God is doing is so much bigger than you. And then he says this, verse 10. The length of our days are 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. You can go to deathclock.com, figure that out. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. And Moses is like, come on, I know. I mean, I, I grew up where I had it all, and then I was a nomad shepherd for 40 years. Can you imagine what that was like? And then I'm led in to lead these people out of Egypt, to lead the Hebrew people, the Israelites, into this place that God has for them. And then for 40 more years with these annoying, complaining people, I'm just doing circles in the desert. And then when I finally think that it's all going to come to a head and I'm going to experience the payoff, I die on a mountain at 120 years old. I mean, he doesn't know that part yet, but he's going, listen, I know what I'm talking about. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and fly away. And then he says this, verse 11, incredibly confusing verse. Who knows? Who can understand? Who can see clearly? The power of your anger for your wrath, and that word has been so misconstrued, is as great as the fear that is due you. This is honestly seems like a really poorly constructed sentence because it's incredibly difficult in the Hebrew to translate this into the English. So rather than trying to unpack all that for you, I just want to give you basically the meaning behind this, what Moses' intent is, and it's basically this, that if you were ever to see God clearly, if you were ever to see God as he is, if you were ever to come face to face with understanding who he is and what he's done and what you are a part of, you would live your life to give him the glory that he deserves. We said this a few weeks ago. The, the amazing, sometimes confusing thing about God is that if God were to show up in all of his glory, like all of his magnificence, in that moment, you would lose your free will. 
In that moment, you would kind of lose your choice because when if you saw God clearly, you would have no other response than to bow your knee and go, listen, I didn't choose my birth. I'm not gonna choose my death. So whatever you want and whatever your question is, my answer is yes, because this is bigger than me. I'm not the point of the story. You are above and beyond everything and I have been created to live my life for you, to live my life for your glory. And basically Moses is saying, if you could ever see God clearly, you'd see your time differently and you would change what you do with your time. You would change what you do with your life because I'm not the point and you're not the point. We have not been created for our story, but to live our life for his glory, which means that in everything we do, we're reflecting his greatness. God, whatever you want, God, wherever you're leading me, God, whatever you want me to prioritize, whatever you say about this, whatever you want in regard to my time, I want to live in such a way that I point with my life to you as the sovereign, in control God of the universe who is everlasting to everlasting and generation to generation. And in that, I recognize I don't have a lot of time and my time is yours. And then Moses says this. This is kind of the big culmination. So teach us. This is what God, this is what we need. Teach us, meaning it's not natural. It's not intuitive. Most of us will not do this unless we are intentional. God, this is, this is kind of Moses' prayer. Teach us to number our days aright. Meaning, God, teach us to live like our days are numbered. Like we know it intellectually. We know it in terms of our head, but we don't live like it Monday through Friday or month to month or year to year with what we stack up, what we chase after, what we make the ultimate thing. And so teach us to live like our days are numbered rather than living like we won't die, which is what a lot of us do. We live like we're always gonna have our kids. We live like we're always gonna have our spouse. We live like we're always gonna have this season. We live like we're always gonna have this opportunity. We live like this moment in time is gonna continue to go on. And so Moses is going, God, teach us to think differently so we live differently. Our days are numbered. And so teach us to just remind ourselves that our days are numbered so that we do something different with our time. And come on, all of us at just a general level, we've done this. Like if you've ever had a surgery like, you've probably numbered your days. You're, like, counting down the days until it's going to happen. If you've ever been married, if you've ever gotten engaged, and you're waiting for the wedding day, and you're trying to figure out what to prioritize and cram all that stuff in that you've got to do, you've numbered your days. If you've ever had a project, if you've ever had a contract, you've numbered your days. And Moses is going, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to come to the place where you are so aware almost every day of your life of I'm not promised the next day. I'm not promised the next season. I'm not promised this opportunity again. And I'm not going to live like everybody else. Like I have a limitless supply of this. See, here's the thing. In every area of your life, not just time, but in every area. When you live like you have a limitless supply of something, you always waste it. When you live like you have a limitless supply, not intellectually, you know that's not true, but you live like it. When you live like you have an endless or limitless supply of something, you always waste it. And Moses is like, God, teach us to number our days, to be aware, and then here's the payoff, here's the promise, here's the end result, that we may gain, agriculture idea, that we may reap, that we may gain a heart of what? Gain a heart of what? 
wisdom. Wisdom about what to put in. Wisdom about what to take out. Wisdom about what to stop chasing. Wisdom about what you need to begin to chase. Wisdom about what should actually be the priority for your kids. Wisdom about what should be elevated in regard to your marriage because this season will not last forever. Wisdom in terms of what God is calling you to right now and you keep pushing it to tomorrow and tomorrow and next week and next month. Wisdom to know what you need to do right now and then courage to be able to do it. Moses is going, the end result, the thing that we reap, the promise is that as we begin to number our days and realize that we are a part of a bigger story, the end goal or the end result is that we gain wisdom. Wisdom that comes through recognizing my days are numbered and I have been created not for my story but for his glory. And when I begin to understand that, it changes what I do with my time and it changes what I do with my life. And can I just... Real quick, this is kind of off topic for a second or or off my notes. But the greatest thing for your life, and if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, like this is really what it's about, or if you're a follower of Jesus but you've never really embraced this, this whole idea of living your life for his glory, it is the thing for your life during this little time span. And can you just, just think about this for a second as you look at culture? And what is so much of us living for ourselves or making our own decisions about what we think is going to bring fulfillment and purpose and, and ultimately lead us to an outcome that we want? Can, can you just ask this pragmatic question? Does it work? Is it working? Cultural's idea and handling of sex, is that working well? How we handle money as we look to people to our right and left, is it working? How we handle relationship, how most of us are prioritizing our time, is it working? And God's going, listen, I have invited you into so much more. And it's not going to be pain-free, problem-free. Ask Moses. It's not going to all work out in the end just perfectly. But I'm telling you, when you link up with recognizing that your life is not about your story and you really don't know what is best for you, and I am everlasting to everlasting, I'm generation to generation, and everything I am inviting you into, everything I have called you to is for your good and for my glory and ultimate fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment, ultimate pleasure, ultimate peace is living your life the way that you were manufactured to live it. And that is for his glory alone in every area. I love this quote by Andy Stanley. I think I've mentioned it before that your life is not pain-free, problem-free, but following Jesus and living for his glory, it will make your life better and it will make you better at life because you were created for this. And so Moses says, God, help us, teach us how to remember every day that our days are numbered and it is not about us. We are not the point. We have been created to live for your glory in the context of everlasting to everlasting and generation to generation. Basically, remembering our time is short gives us wisdom to know what to do with our short amount of time. Or here's even my kind of simplified version is that your time is limited, so limit what you do with your time. Your time is limited. This season is limited. This opportunity is limited. This thing that you're walking through right now will not last forever. And so since my time is limited, I want to limit what I do with my time. And Moses says the starting place is to recognize you're a part of something bigger and then begin to number your days because on the other side of that, is wisdom that you wouldn't get any other way. 
basically, here, here's how I want to end, because this is kind of Moses' point. I want to end by fast-forwarding your life to the end of your life. Because in doing that, in, in bringing your mind around that, in looking at the fact that, yeah, this is not going to last forever, it immediately begins to give you wisdom, whether you do anything with it or not. And so there's a, a lady by the name of Bronnie Ware, and she began to write articles several years ago that she's turning into a book. She may have already turned it into a book, but she was an Australian hospice nurse, and she had the unique role of dealing with patients during the final 12 weeks of their life. And she spent several years asking them questions in those final weeks. And generally, she would ask these questions around the final seven days of their life. And she began to ask specifically around what their greatest regrets were. And in all of her questions and in all of her research and all of the information she was compiling, she said two regrets rose to the surface over and over and over and over again. And here's the two regrets. The second regret, which you maybe would think was the first one, was this, as she interviewed patients in hospice care during this time. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And then I, I just want to read you this excerpt from her research, her articles, and the questions she asked, because here's what she said around this. This came from every male patient that I nursed. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their parents' companionship, their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of them, all of them, all of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. And, and this is Moses' point. Here, here's what I want you to do, Moses would say. I want you to reach into the future, and you do that by recognizing that there is a bigger story that you're a part of and that your days are numbered. And as you understand that, you literally reach into the future to maybe the final weeks or seven days of your life, and you grab the wisdom that you are naturally going to get in those moments, and you bring those up to the present because God has called you to live that way today. And see, when you live like your days are not numbered, you will misspend your time, which means you will misspend your life, and you will end up with avoidable regrets. Because anytime you live like, well, I have all the time in the world, 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 only you realize you don't have all the time in the world, and you cannot get 20 back again. You cannot get 30 back again. You cannot get 40 back again. Some of you are trying because you've been 40 for like five years, but you can't in reality. You can't get 50 back again. That season, that opportunity, this unique role that you've been given and what God has called you to, it only comes around once. And here's the thing about these people that Bronnie Ware interviewed. They had this wisdom and clarity because they were forced into it toward the end of their life. Moses is saying, you can get this, you can obtain this right now, and it will be the catalyst for how you spend your time, which will ultimately determine how you spend your life. And then here is regret number one in all of her interviewing of all of these patients. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. 
I wish that I had had the courage. In their final moments, as they look back on the landscape of their life, and they have extraordinary wisdom in that moment, wisdom that we should pay attention to because that's naturally what comes with numbering our days. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that culture, that others expected of me. Here, here's one excerpt from her article in questioning. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. And then I love this statement. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. And listen, this whole thing, if you're a Jesus follower, th this is actually the essence of following Jesus. This is not talking about what you wear or you, where you work or any of those things that we stack up as this is the model for nonconformity. Following Jesus is an invitation into nonconformity to go, you do not need to look to your right, to your left, in front of you or behind you. You have been invited into an incredible story. You have been given a purpose. You are unique. You are made in the image of God. You are fashioned and woven together by the creator of the universe, everlasting to everlasting, generation to generation. You have been invited to play a part in this grand narrative to bring him glory. And so I want you to look at me. I want you to look at what I want for your life. I want you to look at me as the creator, manufacturer of the universe. It's why Paul wrote, do not be conformed to the culture or the thousand voices screaming in your ear, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My life is not my own. I have been created for a bigger story and the story is not me. I am not the point. I have been created for his glory and my days are numbered. So give me that wisdom because I want to soak up all that God has called me to in this little bit of time that I've been given. This is what we have been invited into. So if you did that, what would it look like? What, what would you like stop doing today if you had the courage to do it? What would you begin to pursue today? What voices would you start to tune out? Where would you break from the pack of cultural majority thinking that are all moving the same direction going, everybody can't be wrong, can they? What, 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 would you, what would you do? And here's the pushback. Here's what I know works against this is that all of us have these fears. We have this fear of whatever it is, reorganizing our, our schedule, making different things a priority in terms of our spiritual growth, what we need to do with our kids. We all have this fear of if I don't do as much as I can, I'll never make it. What is it? What's it? What's it? Some of you have never defined it. And all these people that Bonnie Ware interviewed, they would say this, make sure you have the right it. Make sure you have defined what it really is and you don't spend your life chasing the wrong it. Like, here's the thing, man. Most of us get our it, this I'm never going to make it, whatever it is. Most of us get it from our parents. They were either super successful and you're intimidated. They were failures and so your whole purpose is to not be like them. They were boring and you just don't want to be boring. I mean, basically parents cannot win no matter what they do. But th that's really where you get your it from. And we have this fear of if I don't do all that I can, I'll never make it. What is it? Have you ever defined that? Or if I don't do all that I possibly can, I'll fall behind. Who? 
Like who, who, who will you fall behind? Who is the measuring stick? Who's the barometer for you? Who, who is the, the place that you have your eyes fixed on? That, that you need to have a certain amount of success or you're not gonna measure up or your kids are not gonna measure up and you're driving them insane. Like who, who is it? I love this quote by Ann Voskamp. She says this, your time is limited. So don't limit your life by wanting someone else's. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fall behind. I'm going to be poor. This is a real fear for some of you, but you've never defined this. This is an emotional reaction that you've never actually sat down to think about, but it drives your decision-making. It drives your schedule. If I don't do as much as I can, I won't be accepted. Again, by who? Who? Who's the person? Who's the individual? Who's the group? And if you're a 20-something or if you're in college right now, let me just tell you what your parents have tried to tell you, but you don't listen to them. Most of the decisions you're making around, I want to be accepted, and it's determining what you do with education and job and how you spend your time. Most of those individuals you are basing your decisions off of will not even be in your life in five years. You won't even know their name in seven They'll be a distant memory, and yet they are stealing and robbing you of your life because your time is your life. Have you ever defined this? Who is it? If I don't do all that I can, I won't measure up. Again, to what? Have you ever thought about it? You're chasing an invisible thing that you've never defined. You've never articulated it. You've never sat down to think it through. And I've said this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it to you again. This is really, I think, Moses' words in a nutshell. Do not spend your life. Do not spend your life chasing something that wasn't worth catching once you caught it. So what, what, what is it? What, what would you do? How would it change if you began to look up rather than looking around? Rather than, than listening and being bombarded by the voices of culture, what would it look like if you began to look up and recognize you're a part of something bigger and your days are numbered? How would that begin to change your life? That's what we want to look at the next couple of weeks. And if you're a Jesus follower, if you have transferred your trust to what Christ has done, believing that he came, lived a perfect life you couldn't live, died on the cross, the death you should have died for all of your sins, and then walked out of a grave alive, and you've come to a place to go, I'm not trusting in me, but I'm trusting what Jesus has done for me. Come on. You just need to know that everything is working against this and that you will not get any help from culture. And so what would it look like if you began to embrace what Moses tells us. I just want to leave you with this, and, and we're, maybe we'll put this on your app. I didn't get it in time because I just thought about it yesterday. But I want to end with this. For some of you, I would love for you, if you're in a community group here, and, man, you should be, I would put that on the top line of what I'm about to talk about here in a second. But if you're in a community group, even if you don't study the curriculum that we produce based off the messages, take five minutes, discuss this as a group. But in light of everything we've said, what do you need to start doing? I'm not even saying do it right now. You maybe you just feel like you don't have the courage to do it. But if you took this seriously, what should you start doing? For some of you, what should you cut out? And if I can be so bold to say this, for some of you, you need to put a name here. And it has nothing to do with, with your desire and your calling to show grace and love everyone around you. But the scripture talks a lot about healthy boundaries. And there is some groups or some individuals that are stealing and robbing you of life. 
For some of you, it's an activity. It's a weekend thing. But what, what, do, you need to, what do you need to just eliminate altogether? And others of you, what do you need to do more of? What do you need to prioritize with your kid? And you're about to start another year. And if you just go along the stream of cultural majority thinking, you will be led in the wrong direction. What do you need to prioritize your marriage? You get it one time, hopefully. What do you need to prioritize in this season of your life where you know you've been called to something and you just have the idea of, I'm gonna do it later, I'm gonna do it later, I'm gonna get to it tomorrow. What, what do you need to, and you can't eliminate it altogether, but what do you need to do less of? And it may be a morally neutral thing, but it's robbing you in some other areas that are key contributors to what you know what God wants for your life. Some of you need to cut back on the social media a little bit. Some of you, like, Netflix, you know, getting on, I was going to say Netflix and chill, but that's good too. But if you're on Netflix, maybe you need to cut back on that a little. Maybe, and I don't play golf, so it's easy for you to pick on. Maybe you need to play a little less golf. Maybe there's some morally neutral things. They're not bad, but you need to cut back and you need to lean into some areas that you know that God is calling you to right now. And if you were really serious about the fact of God, you have invited me into a bigger story and my days are numbered. I wanna take seriously that fact. And when I begin to see you clearly, I'm gonna start to see my time differently and I'm gonna change what I do with my time. And what I'll get on the other end of that is wisdom. The wisdom that I would have in the final seven days of my life, I'm gonna get it right now and I'm gonna live differently. I'm gonna live for your glory and your story. And I'm going to max out this little blip of time between generation to generation and everlasting to everlasting. So what do you need to do? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to ramp up? What do you need to pull back on? And would you start by just praying the prayer, God, teach me to number my days. Would you guys pray with me all over the house? And if you're online, you can do the same. Jesus, I just thank you for the wisdom of your word. And we believe that it is the inspired, infallible words of God that you spoke through human authors 2,000s of years ago. Give us wisdom that in our present state has the power still to revolutionize our life. Only you could do that. I pray that wherever we are right now, you would meet us with a clear picture, I think is my prayer, with a clear picture of who you are and what you have invited us into. And I pray that, Lord, even in these moments, and, and I pray over these next few weeks as we create margin, as we evaluate, as we pause, as we think at a deeper level than we normally think, I pray that your gospel, which means good news, would lead the way for us. Because for some of us, we, we have regret. We have seasons we wish we could rewind. We have a moment that we wish we could go back and relive again. And I just pray that your good news, your gospel, your grace would just invade us in those places. That regardless of what we have done, regardless of what we have wasted, regardless of what we wish we could get back, you went to a cross and you paid 
for every single one of those things. And through our faith and trust in you, you have released us of guilt and you have released us of shame and you have given us the promise of a new purpose and a new future. And regardless of how much time has gone by, you are a God because you are great, you are magnificent, you are sovereign that can take maybe even our little bit of time in the future and that you can do more through it than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And so we ask and pray that for every single individual here, regardless of what their story is. But God, I just pray that we would look at the now and we would connect the now to this grand narrative that has been being written for all of eternity, everlasting to everlasting, generation upon generation, that you are God and we're not. And you're writing a story that is so much bigger than us. And we have been invited to play a part. And so we're going to realize that we are not in control, but you are in control of our lives and our days are numbered. And so I pray that as we begin to pray that prayer, God, teach us to number our days. You would give us what you promised. You would give us wisdom that we would reach into our future to gain the wisdom that most of us inevitably will gain at a later time in our life. And we would bring it into our present. And we would begin to change what we do with our time, what we do in our marriage, what we do with our kids, what we do with our spiritual development and growth and our relationship with you. And that God, you would begin to literally change our life because our time is our life. And so we love you. We thank you even now in these moments for speaking to us. And Lord, we just wanna be careful to give you glory and honor over these next few weeks for what you do in and through our hearts and our lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen.